Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. And welcome back to Back to the Bins. My oh wait, that's not the show we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, little joke, guys. We were uh, warming up tonight with an episode of Back to the Bins. <laughs> so <laughs> this is going to be really weird because this is going to be played like six weeks after the first episode, which was recorded back in like <laughs> December. <laughs> so <laughs> I know we're gonna we're gonna be so out of sync on these things. At least at first, well. We'll have to figure out a way to get get them synced back up to where the the episode of, of Tales that follows the episode of Back to the Bins actually, you know, are the, are the ones that were recorded in the same recording session. Because <laughs> otherwise it's going to be mighty strange. We'll just have to sit down one day when we're both off and, like, record five Back to the Bins in a row. Oh, we, I mean, we could do that. We probably need to do that, actually, because we have so many, you know... Tales already recorded. Already. We just yeah. had, yeah, we hadn't been doing the the back to the bins. But hey, for anybody that's uh, joining us for this, they probably don't have any clue who the hell we even are. So, well, I'm Michael Bailey, and I'm Scott Gardner. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and as you notice by the music, we are back to normal this week. Uh, going back to our All Star Squadron theme. 
which is, of course, the opening music to Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, mm-hmm. which I may actually sit down and watch on Netflix one of these days. <laughs> oh, you still haven't seen it? No, remember I told you I refused to see it because they put those fucking posters in DC Comics for like three months and I kept having to tear them. <laughs> they were in a bag and then there was a poster in the middle of the book and I hate that. That's right, yeah. And I refused, absolutely refused to see the movie. And everyone's like, that's a really stupid reason to not want to see a movie. <laughs> I'm like, I buy 15 DC books a month. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of ripping posters out. You need to see it, though. It's a good It was a good movie. I think you'll I'm like sure it. sure it is. I mean, it has Angelina Jolie, which really, any movie with her after um, Hackers uh, is really not something I want to see because I find her to be rather obnoxious. Yeah. Really. Um, but it's got um, Jude Law, who I like. Mm-hmm. It has that kind of 30s serial vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, which I also like. It has Gwyneth Paltrow, who I think is more attractive than people give her credit for. Uh, then again, I saw her in Shakespeare in Love. So my, uh, my opinion of her is kind of skewed by that, but I just I, it won me over right from the ads, you know, which was the 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 homage to uh, the mechanical monsters, you know, the the Superman, mm-hmm. the, the Fleischer Superman episode. Because I mean, this is it's it's a it's a live action. You know, the beginning of that movie is a live action version of the mechanical monsters. It's got everything except Superman, and it's it's awesome. Some of it's even shot, you know, shot for shot. So I really enjoy that. I think that's neat. I am going to. Uh also mention that recently I placed an order with InStockTrades.com who is my sponsor over at Views from the Long Box a site so good my dog even likes it. Anyways I placed an order with InStockTrades and you're like, Mike, why are you mentioning this uh, on the show right now? Because, you know, you're you're talking about the All-Star Squadron and the All-Star Squadron is an in-trade paperback. No but Batman and Superman both have a Chronicles line of trade paperbacks where DC is publishing their adventures in chronological order from their first appearances and I finally managed to catch up on my Superman ones my Batman ones and I thought they were really awesome and um, one of the um, one of the books I ordered is not here but I just shot them an email so hopefully I'll hear about that tomorrow but I really recommend the Chronicles lines if you do want to read some really good Golden Age books uh, as we found out when we were reading All-Star number 3 back in the early days of this show, they weren't all winners, um, which was actually a title for Marvel, oddly enough. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, all that's, winners. That was an unintentional pun. I apologize to that. <laughs> but seriously, it's really cool because especially the, the Superman and Batman ones, those are some of the best Golden Age books out there. And, and I hate to say this, especially Batman, which was consistently good. Whereas Superman could be really kind of hit and miss in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely agree with that. And uh, if you want to hear about these titles, I will recommend three podcasts to you. Uh, Our good friend John M. Wilson, who uh, Scott had on an episode of Star Trek Monthly Mondays that I was also on, Mm -hmm. uh, which was a lot of fun. He hosts a show called Golden Age um, Superman which you can find at uh, goldenagesuperman.lipson.com. It's also at the Superman Podcast Network, which is supermanpodcastnetwork.com. He is going through the Superman books, radio shows, and comic strips in chronological order. 
Uh, along those same same lines, Michael Bradley is hosting a show called The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, and he's doing much the same way, much much the same thing, just in a slightly different way. Uh, Michael Bradley also co-hosts with Michael Kaiser, because apparently Michael is a really good name for a podcast host. Um, um, hosts the Legends of Batman podcast, which is going through the Batman Golden Age books, beginning with Detective 27 and moving forward. That has been an excellent show. They are very, very critical of those early stories. They kind of tear them apart sometimes. But to humorous effect, I really like it. And to bring it back to John M. Wilson, uh, Michael Kaiser and John Wilson have a monthly Captain America podcast called The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast, where they are, in the first episode, they're going through Captain America comics, number one. In the second episode, they're catching Captain America up in the Silver Age, up to Tales of Suspense, number 59. I believe is the first issue with Cap's feature in that book. And then starting thereafter, they're going to do a Golden Age and a Silver Age book. So lots of Golden Age era podcasts popping up out there, which I think is awesome. Cool. Have you listened to any of them yet? I've listened here and there to different ones. I, I don't want to single any out and, and end up risk, you know, risk hurting the feelings of someone else that, that I hadn't listened to. But at the moment, I have to be honest, I'm, I am trying to catch up on some uh, some Disney-related podcasts. So my my listening to non-Disney-related podcasts is, is very sparse at the moment. It's like you work for them or something. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've been uh, the 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 primary one I've been listening to lately is uh, is one called um, the WDW Radio Show, hosted by Lou Mangello, and he's the author of the uh, the uh, I think they're called the unofficial Walt Disney World trivia books, something something to that effect. They're trivia books based on Walt Disney World, and he he wrote a couple volumes of those. And the guy just he knows his stuff. And so well, if you write a trivia book, right? Yeah, um, that annoying kid who wrote that Star Wars trivia book, notwithstanding, <laughs> um, Rusty something. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Any kid named Rusty is automatically a douchebag. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, just I like alienated me. every <laughs> listener we have named Rusty. So good on me. <laughs> But yeah, Lou uh, Lou does a solid show, and I, I really enjoy that. So I've been trying to get caught up on you know all the episodes I've ever missed of that show, which seemed to be just about all of them, because you know I, I was listening for a while and then kind of fell behind, and now I don't remember where I left off. So I just decided, ah, I'll just go back to the very beginning and, and start there. But he's got several hundred episodes, so it's gonna it's gonna take me a little while to get caught up. So if I fall behind in some of my other podcasts, don't don't take it personally, guys. There is another uh, podcast that's popped up recently that uh, that I've kind of really fallen for, hosted by a gentleman by the name of Andrew Leyland and his son Michael, mm-hmm. uh, called Hey Kids Comics. And I know you've been listening to this one, too. Yeah, I was just thinking, as you were starting to plug these other podcasts, I got to thinking, damn it, we just recorded Back to the Bins, and I totally meant to suggest to people if, if if you guys listen to Back to the Bins, especially if you've listened 
you know, to the to the really really old episodes of when that show first started. I, I had a very young co-host on the show, and it was it basically the concept of the show back then was you know it was me as the as the old man of comics you know that grown up with you know so many so many of these old things giving my you know perspective on them as somebody that had lived you know through the 70s and 80s and you know knew all this old stuff and then you know this young kid who was just getting into comics in his fresh perspective and you know of course he ended up leaving the show and and the whole dynamic kind of changed well if you enjoyed that and you liked that that sort of uh set up for a premise for a show definitely check out hey kids comics because that's very much the the dynamic there you know uh, andrew and michael you know their father and son but it's it's basically the same thing andrew's i, I think he's 38 or you know he's 38 his son's yeah. 15 yeah so there's quite a despair well which is good because you don't want like the dad to be five years older than the son right because that's that's just creepy <laughs> uh but uh, no, I I discovered it because Andrew had um, had been a uh, frequent writer to some of the other shows that I do, mm-hmm. and I figured I'd give his show a, a, a listen, and I really really enjoy it, and uh, just wanted this is the first podcast I've recorded since um, since starting to listen to the show, so I, I figured this is a, and this is going to be six weeks out, but still, I just wanted to give Andrew a little shout out to um, to kind of promote his show and tell other people that they really, really need to listen to it because he is funny as hell. Yep. I mean, <laughs> I was listening to the first Star Wars one they did today, and when he's doing the synopsis of the second issue and said Ben Kenobi takes Luke's back to his house and abuses him relentlessly, <laughs> I actually had to pause because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> Um, my final thing for uh, for before we get into the issue is spammers stop spamming our fucking email account. Oh Thank my you God. very much. Yes. Yes. I just looked at it and it's awful. Yes. Holy crap! I just reported a bunch of spam. <laughs> Good lord. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's scared. Both of them were like that. Yeah, that, uh, Ben's was the same way. There was like four or five pages. You know, with like 50, you know, there's like 50 emails on each page. Just nothing but spam. And it was weird because it ran the gamut. You know, usually in my regular personal email, I get, you know, maybe one or two every couple of days. And it's usually, you know, only two or three different types. It's, you know, make your dick bigger. You know, you can make more money or you can get a better job. These all, I mean, they ran the friggin' gamut from the from the uh, uh, Ethiopian money scam to you know physical augmentation to I mean just all I mean any kind of get rich quick scheme or, or fraud or cheat or you know nudie pictures or anything, they were all and I was like, damn, there's a lot of spam in this thing. Some of them are creative, you know. Some of them are really clever, you know. Thank you for your inquiry about blah blah blah. And I was like, oh, I had to stop and think. Did I inquire about something? No, I guess not. So no, I don't have to. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm good as far as not needing augmentation. I'm not trying to brag or anything. I'm just saying, you know. We have won a hell of a lot of pounds too. Have you noticed that? 
Which is too bad because the pound is doing really good compared yeah. to the dollar. And, uh, <laughs> that that would have been nice. I would love to know how we claim that prize. Um, give our money to give our bank accounts to some Nigerians right. and pray to God it's on the level. That was it, Nigeria, not Ethiopia. <laughs> Nigeria, that was it. Nah, Nigeria. Ethiopia. I feel bad for Nigeria at this point because now all they're really ever going to be known for is bad email spams. <laughs> Well, we've got a doozy this week, uh, this time out. Like um, a massive book. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, doozy's one way of describing it, I guess. Oh, God, we're going to argue about this. Uh-oh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, are we? We might. We might. Well, okay. if you didn't like it, we're going to argue about it. Uh-oh, so. yeah, well, we might then. <laughs> okay, well, you want to go ahead and dig into this one? Yeah, you're starting us off because it uh, because it was such a large book. We decided to uh, split up the the duties on um, on doing the synopses. It was this is a, this is a whopper. This was what forty three pages, something like that. I mean, I guess it could have been longer, but uh, yeah, it's 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 quite the lengthy, hefty book here. All right, so this is All Star Squadron Annual. Number one, cover dated simply 1982. However, according to Mike's amazing world of DC Comics, it was actually on sale on the stands August 5th, 1982. Original cover price was a whole buck, which was just scandalous in 1982. Cover artist on this, Jerry Ordway. And it's it's an interesting cover. I mean, I like it as far as uh, Ordway's art goes. I don't know about the coloring. The coloring's a little weird. Yeah. It's this giant scarlet dude wearing nothing but just his nut hugger shorts and he's nut hugger? Yeah, I mean look I mean come on, dude. They don't get tighter than these pants are right here. Yeah, well then I really feel bad for this guy. Which, you know, I Because he doesn't seem to have anything to hug as well. <laughs> yes, yes, he's very Kendall. Which might explain something that, I hate to be crude, but I did think of it while I was looking at this cover. And you've got, okay, he's holding on to Green Lantern in one hand while Green Lantern is zapping him. He's holding on to the Atom in another hand while the Atom and Wildcat is trying to free the Atom. You've got Flash punching him in the nipple. You've got Guardian (laughs) smacking him in the back of the head with his shield. And you've got Wonder Woman lassoing his waist. All right, if I was going to fight a giant man, I think the first thing I'd try to do to take him down is to, you know, shoot him right in the balls. I mean, it's a cheap <laughs> shot, but it's a hell of a big target. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't yes, know. Yes, yes, it is. But anyway, um, all crudeness aside, it, it is a good cover. I like it. I'm just not real crazy about the coloring uh, job on it. Uh, let's see. Written by Roy Thomas, as usual. Artists are Adrian Gonzalez and Jerry Ordway. Yay. Carl Gafford, colorist. John Costanza, letterer. Len Wein, editor. The story is entitled The Three Faces of Evil. Okay, so it's January 1942, and the circus is in town. Specifically, this is a war bond circus. The Flash... Wonder Woman and Green Lantern ride a bicycle built for three across a tightrope in hopes of helping to raise some cash for this particular drive. Thanks to GL's power ring, the trio overhears someone in the crowd kind of bitching about how lame 
Actually, the person says tame, but, you know, I gotta admit, I hate circuses. So I changed one letter, you know, sue me. Anyway, commenting on how lame the circus is. So Green Lantern power rings the tightrope, and the trio kind of make like the Flying Graysons. However, it's all part of the show. <laughs> yeah, when they tell this story to Rob, and he's like, "My parents are dead." <laughs> well, I, you know, I had I thought that this was actually very insensitive on Green Lantern's part because if it's all part of the timeline, then the Flying Graysons thing isn't that far in DC in past. past, you know. No. So it does seem kind of insensitive on GL's part. But <laughs> maybe he doesn't that. read the newspaper or something. I don't know. Even better, I'd like the shot of like Dick Grayson in the audience throwing his popcorn down and walking out and up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is taking place... Where were you there. fuckers three months ago? This is what? This is like New York City, right? So New yeah. York and Gotham are... Well, I don't. I'm not sure about pre-crisis, but I would. They're separate places. Well, I know they're separate places, but I mean, they're they're they could be neighboring. So it is conceivable that someone either in the circus or attending the circus might have been privy to the Flying Graysons incident. I don't know. It's a bit of a stretch, but anyway, we spent way too long talking about. Yes, we did. <laughs> so anyway, this this thing with uh, GL breaking the the, the um, tightrope, it's all part of the show. And Green Lantern whips up a trapeze for himself as Wonder Woman uses her lasso to improvise one for herself. And at this point, the Ringmaster, who I guess was in on this whole gag, I don't know. Anyway, he announces that the Flash will now be attempting an unprecedented ten somersaults in the air. But as the Scarlet Speedster goes into his act, everyone, including the spectators and the performers, are blinded by a bright, white, shining light. The Flash acts quickly to save himself from a nasty fall, and when everyone's vision clears, they witness a glowing ball descend to the sawdust floor and outcharges three figures. The Wildcat, the Atom, and a figure unknown to anyone in the group. But of course, you know, astute DC readers will know this guy as the Guardian. I'm going to go ahead yes. and spoil that right now. The uh, silent intruders immediately set upon the JSAers and attempt to take them down for reasons unknown. Wildcat clocks GL, Guardian holds his own against the Flash, and the Atom proves an even match for Wonder Woman. So something screwy is going on here if these guys are, you know, super powered enough to actually be taking on. You know, GL, Flash, and Wonder Woman, who are actually superpowered. So, Green Lantern detonates a burst of emerald light from his ring, and it does the trick. The silent, quote unquote, enemy trio, they snap out of their funk, and they're all doing the, hey, what's going on? How did I get here thing? The crowd goes wild, thinking all of this was just part of the show, and Green Lantern whips up a flying carpet to whisk all of our heroes away for a private powwow in the sky. This leads us to Chapter 2, where, once again, Green Lantern, Flash, and Wonder Woman have run away together, this time adding three more guys, proving that things are getting kinkier. Sorry. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't help that. This We joked about that in the preview issues, so... Seriously, we're going to go off and just hang out on a carpet. Awesome. Uh, they, they have a conversation which basically boils down to, uh, we don't know who this guy in blue is, so we're a little hesitant. 
to talk about our secret identities and figure out what's going on. But hell, Green Lantern can pull a big old mind wipe, so let's get to it. So Wildcat steps up first to talk about his origin, which is that of Ted Grant, uh, whose old man, as he calls him, vowed over his baby crib that he would grow up, he wouldn't grow up afraid of life. And Henry Grant kept his word, and he encouraged his son at sports. Eventually, he uh, got really, really good at boxing, even though he was good at other sports. And he had his sights set on being a doctor, which I always found kind of fascinating. But his parents died in the middle of a depression, which left him with no money to continue college. And he went to the big city to find a job. And while there... He helped Soccer Smith, the heavyweight boxing champ, fight off a couple of robbers. And this set him on his fighting career. But unfortunately, in a fight with Soccer, Soccer died, and Grant was accused of killing him. Going on the run, and after overhearing a couple of kids talking about a Green Lantern comic, he decided to become a superhero, or mystery man, I guess would be a better way to say it, uh, known as the Wildcat, to force the people who were responsible to confess to the crime. And he, earlier that night, all of that, by the way, you can find in Sensation Comics number one from 1941, if you're really rich, or if you're slightly rich, Secret Origins number three from 1973. Earlier in the evening, Wildcat was taking down a bunch of hoodlums using a different fighting style so no one would ever connect him to Ted Grant when a glowing ball appeared to him appeared before him in the sky and he got sucked into it so then the atom is up next where he talks about being a the original 98 pound weakling who was out with Mary James a girl he had always wanted to date when a guy came up and tried to rob them both now luckily this wasn't Joe Chill because both of them would be shot dead right then and there the guy makes fun of Al Pratt when he doesn't step up and try to fight back as does Mary and a little later, Al comes across a bum and buys him dinner. The bum trains him uh, in to become a little Superman in less than a year, because it turns out that this bum had hit the skids uh, with one bad break or another, not to mention the depression, and was going to kind of train Al to become a boxer for his ticket to Easy Street. Along the way, Al became the superhero known as the Atom, and he was leaving his calling card with the, with the unconscious crooks. Earlier today, he was saying goodbye because once again, Al Pratt was trying to go back to the army, and once again, something stopped him. As he was on the train, a glowing ball appeared before him, and he got sucked into it. So finally, the mysterious stranger steps up. We find out that his name is Jim Harper. Jim grew up in Suicide Slum, which on Earth 2 was in New York City, not Metropolis, as it would eventually become on, I think, on Earth 1, but definitely in the post-crisis era. There, Jim uh, hung around with a kid named Leo, and they got caught stealing apples one day, um by what they thought was a cop. It turns out that this cop was an all-right Joe who believed in physical training as a way out of the slums. 
And as, as Jim Harper says, he soon found out the things I was best at were running, jumping, and the gymnastic type stuff, which doesn't sound creepy at all that an older man takes a boy in and trains him to physical perfection. And I'm sorry, this, this, this whole thing just, this wouldn't happen today. This is just, Hey, it's no creepier than than Al pa- Al Pratt wanting to buy a bum dinner. You know, I, I, I'm I'm yeah, I had all kinds of perverted thoughts about that. yeah, lithium in an alley. You know, <laughs> so right before he was uh, Jim would become an, uh, was going to go on the road to be an Olympic champion. He dropped the bomb on his trainer that he couldn't go forward without finding what happened to his pal Leo. So much to his trainer's chagrin, Jim heads back into Suicide Slum where he finds out that Leo is now basically a mob enforcer that has a price on his head because of a rival guy he bumped off over in Joyzy. It says Jersey. I'm assuming he said Joyzy. Uh, just because this is New York City and the... Um, in the 30s, so everyone talked like that. Well, I guess this would be the 40s. So, just then, a car drives by and shoots Leo dead. So apparently, Jim finding him was really, really bad luck. So Jim vows <laughs> to. Same thought. <laughs> so Jim starts yelling at the neighborhood. You did this suicide slum. You made Leo join the mob. Is the only way out. And off in the distance, there's somebody going, Shut the fuck up! I'm trying to sleep. Sleep, exactly. <laughs> um, so he goes back to his trainer and says that he's joining the police force, which uh, t- the trainer does not really take too kindly. You're nuts throwing away your future in mine. Go on, get out of here. So Jim becomes a beat cop in Suicide Slum, which is apparently a very, very thankless job. A few hours before trying to pummel the All-Stars, Jim was off-duty and was beaten up by a bunch of hoodlums. I love that word, hoodlum. He comes to and basically has had enough of everyone's shit. He wanders into a costume shop, grabs a crash helmet and a blue outfit and an antique shield. Because it wasn't hard to find the hoods who attacked Jim Harper in a nearby pool hall, and Jim had to confess that it felt good to wade into him, into them, and it was at that pool hall that Jim Harper's superhero identity was given a name. Hey, who are you? What's the idea of pulling the superhero stuff on us? Superhero. There's a phrase I haven't heard before. I'm sort of a guardian. Yes, a guardian of, of society against your kind. So he runs off into the night because it really wouldn't do for a you know, beat cop to be discovered wearing a funny outfit and beating up people for seemingly no reason. So he sees a glowing ball in the sky. It's getting kind of repetitive at this point, maybe. And gets sucked into it. So basically, Wonder Woman um, tells him that that she knows he spoke the truth because no one can lie when they are being held by her magic lasso, which made me turn back to see if she had put him in the magic lasso, and this is never shown. So for some reason, randomly, while he was telling his story, Wonder Woman wraps him in her magic lasso. That doesn't make a lick of sense. Anyways... 
they, um, as they're sitting there talking, Flash has an idea. He asks all three men to concentrate on the face of their trainer. And with Green Lantern's help, they find out that Joe Morgan and the coach that trained Wildcat and the trainer that trained Guardian, uh, or Nat Milligan, uh, as um, Jim Harper knew him as, were the same guy. So thus, they have a clue as to figure out what the heck is going on, and in true JSA um, uh, fashion, they all split off into teams, with Guardian and Flash going one way, Green Lantern and Wildcat going another, and Wonder Woman and Adam flying in yet another direction, all to find Joe Morgan slash Nat Milligan and get him to tell them what the heck is going on. Along the way, the Adam basically tells us what we can expect to be reading in the All-Star Squadron in the coming months. <laughs> he talks about uh, Robot Man having trouble uh, from an unscrupulous lawyer that wants to get him melted down. Commander Steele returned to New York after two years and found his ex fiance married and his former scientific mentor dead. The Shining Knight is in England hanging around. Johnny Quick, Liberty Bell, and Firebrand flew out to the West Coast and are fighting Nazis, of course, and Hawkman and Hawkgirl have returned to the military as Shira Sanders has decided to join the Nurse Corps. Alright, anyway, so we get into Chapter 3, Tragedy in Triplicate. The Guardian leads Flash to the hole in the wall in Suicide Slum that was the last known residence of Nat Milligan, uh, one of Joe Morgan's aliases. They talk about Guardian's rookie hero status, and Flash encourages him to continue on as a costume good guy because it looks like Suicide Slum could really use a guy like him. They arrive at Morgan's old place, and after a bit of good old-fashioned breaking and entering, they encounter a large, glowy, pink version of Morgan who kind of talks funny and threatens him, or threatens them, rather, with his power. But it turns out this guy's name should have been Glass Joe because one punch from Guardian takes him out. The duo start to comment on how easy that was when something weird begins to happen before their very eyes. We don't see what this is at the moment, though. Cut to an air-sick Adam and Wonder Woman as they make their way to the Adam's uncle's farmhouse via her invisible plane where they encounter a giant blue Joe Morgan. Wonder Woman and Adam promptly beat the piss out of him. And just as with Guardian and the Flash, something weird begins to happen to the fallen foe. Then we cut to Green Lantern and Wildcat in Manhattan as they scope out a gym that Morgan was known to frequent back in the day. And goddamned if they don't find him there, too. Imagine that. It's very convenient. Except that these days, he's big and yellow and looks a hell of a lot like an aged mel uh, molten man from the Spider-Man comics. Anyway, same deal. While, uh, Wildcat punches his lights out, and he starts to change. So later... At uh, Madison Square Garden, the prearranged meeting place for the heroes, they bring the three pieces of Joe Morgan together to try to solve this particular Scooby-Doo mystery. Bad plan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sure, you know, Joe uh, pulls himself together and all that, but now he's a glowy white mega giant freak who kind of looks like a cross between the Hulk, Solomon Grundy, and uh, Jay Leno. 
Joe Morgan want pants too. <laughs> he needs pants too because I'm very uncomfortable with him just walking around in his tidy whities So all the, <laughs> all the heroes lay into Joe, uh, who now wants to be referred to by the awesome and original bad guy name of wait for it evil I'm not making this shit up folks <laughs> so evil is defeated it'd be awesome if it was like evil Ed that I could live with that that'd be cool um, anyway or even even evil uh what's the guy Morgan evil Morgan that would work but, but evil can evil Evil Knievel, that would work too. I, I could go for that. He beats up the All-Stars and then jumps over them on a motorcycle. <laughs> he's defeated because as he's trying to get away, he tries to jump over the Las Vegas fountain. That's his downfall. Anyway, Evil... Damn, man! <laughs> evil is defeated. Uh, mostly by Wildcat, Adam, and the Guardian, telling Joe what a swell guy he really is deep down inside. Joe drives out the bad glowy ball thing from inside of him uh, that was making him all bad and stuff. Joe, free of the evil influence, tells of how he uh, he became a down-and-out, bitter old man after the three uh, people that he trained, they all abandoned him and broke his heart and shattered his dreams. In a back alley, he encountered the glowy ball thing uh, that promised to help him get revenge if he embraced it. So he did, and thus was born the tricolored aspects of Joe Morgan. And Green Lantern makes a brilliant deduction that maybe the glowy ball thing is dangerous. <laughs> you think? <laughs> and so then he uh, power rings it off into space. And Joe Morgan dies. And that's... Pretty much it. But wait! There's more. At the end, there is a prologue. <sighs> Where the hell did this part of the issue come from? Yes. Um, it is revealed that the big glowing ball was actually a manifestation of evil beyond measure from Earth-1 that they sent to Earth 2 to get it out of their dimension. Basically, the Guardians of the Universe use the neighboring town to bury toxic waste. And it's not the first time they've done this, either. They actually mentioned that they did the same thing with their magic. They banned all magic from their universe and dumped it. And he even says, perhaps the same alternate cosmos where we sent magic. It's like, what a bunch of pricks. But that magic created the Golden Age Green Lantern. Yeah, but still, you know. So, but no, <laughs> I guess we could talk about this when we get to it in in in, in our in our reviews. Before uh, before you go through your notes, uh, we do have historical notes from the All Star Companion Volume Two. This annual saw the first published cover totally penciled and inked by Jerry Ordway, and with happily many more to come, which I agree with. Because while this one was a little wonky, there's some badass covers coming up. An added scene in the Guardian's origin flashback is inspired by a similar one in the 1956 film Somebody Up There Likes Me, featuring Paul Newman as boxer Rocky Graziano and Sal Minio as his doomed boyhood chum. 
The later comic character's name Leo was taken from Leo Gorsi, leader of the East Side Boys slash Bowery Boys in the popular series of movies. In the Guardian flashback, both Hero and Captured Crook use the term superhero, quoted from Simon and Kirby's story in Star Spangled Comics number 7. This may have been the first time the expression appeared in a comic book, or much of anywhere else. Though Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster had used it, hyphen and all, to describe Superman in a 1936 concept sketch, as seen in Les Daniels' 1998 hardcover, Superman, the complete history and every time they say the complete history i want quotes to be over that because as awesome as that book is it's far from complete (laughs) um musing by the atom ties the annual into the monthly series by relating what johnny quick liberty bell firebrand robot man commander steel the shining knight and hawkman are currently up to and he leaves out hawk girl it's never spelled out if there's any connection between this issue's globe being from space and the one featured in All-Star Comics number 31 from October-November 1946. There are, and this is awesome, four fact-file pages on Wonder Woman, Flash, and Green Lantern with Buckler and Ordway art, and on The Guardian with Ordway's first interior penciling and inking script by Roy Thomas. And that Guardian page is awesome god that's so neat uh there is no text page in this issue there's no room (laughs) no room at all so So, why don't you go ahead with your notes and then i'll uh i I actually have precious few that i I, that i took ahead of time I, i i figured we'd probably end up kind of page by paging it but just real real quick what i do have um on page one uh, where is it here? You know, we, we get the little introduction. You know, you've got uh, Flash, Wonder Woman, and GL. They're riding the the bicycle built for three on the ty- on the type wire, and it kind of brings us right in with what's going on. You know, GL saying, "Hey, you know, this is a great idea. You know, doing this war bond circus thing." And Wonder Woman says, uh, "Sorry about dragging you boys to New York on such short notice, Green Lantern. After all, we'd only met once before last month when All Star Squadron was founded." I just find this to be very clunky, awkward dialogue, only because it it seems like, and maybe it's just because we're reading these, you know, the way we're reading them and really concentrating on things and and, and focusing on different things, but it seems like. It, it it's kind of a cumulative effect of Thomas. It, 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 he's preaching this just a little bit too much. The fact of what order these characters are being introduced in, and and how you know he he's retroing the timeline and all that kind of thing. It's like okay, I get it, dude. I, I get that you're going back and and you're filling in. You know the the you know the things that happen in the gutters and putting things in a proper sequence. You don't have to keep mentioning it all the time. You know what I mean? Maybe it's just me, but it just seems like he really does this a little bit too often where he's he's you know making it very clear to the to the reader that, you know, okay, this is, you know, the first time these two characters have met because this was before, you know, All-Star issue such and such or you know what I mean? It, it seems like it just happens yeah, but, a little but, too often. You know, he learned under the hand, you know, the the tutelage of Stan Lee. This is true. <laughs> and Stan Lee was very exposition-heavy. This is not as exposition-heavy as some of Thomas's early Avengers 
uh, yes. books would be. So <laughs> yes. you know, there's that. That is very true. Um, I like the art in this entire issue. I, I think it's really solid, but I especially wanted to uh, call attention to the fight on page 26 because it's Wonder Woman. And I always appreciate when Wonder Woman is drawn very well. And she's drawn very well here. I really like her fight with the giant blue Joe Morgan in this. It's just there's something very dynamic about the poses that she's giving and, and just her body language. And I really like that. I, I thought that art was, was really well done. Um, I like on page 29, I thought for sure this would be part of the, uh, the historical notes from the, uh, all-star companion, but it wasn't, I was surprised, but, um, last panel on page 29, you've got a uh, wildcat squaring off against the giant yellow, um, Joe Morgan aspect, and he says, uh, "You can lay odds on it. I don't. Uh, I don't think you are Joe. So I'm going to paste you so hard you'll wonder where the yellow went." That's a reference to an ad of the time, which was, uh, "You'll wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsodent." And I just thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> um, let's see what was the other one here. <laughs> I love. Okay, quote of the issue. Great Hera, he's growing larger by the instant. <laughs> and they can literally tell. that's what she said. Yes, that is what she said. And she can tell that because he's in his tidy whities I like that. <laughs> Lastly, um page thirty-eight. This is a, a an awesome bit of just sheer coincidence, I realize, but this is the third time in a relatively small window of time in which this idea of evil being purged from super beings has come up in something that I've podcasted about because we talked about it in a recent Star Wars Monthly Monday where we met the character of the Darker who was basically evil personified um, that you know, evil had been cast out of these super beings and had you know solidified in the darker, and that led us to talking about Armus, a character from Star Trek: The Next Generation, the the big slime guy that killed Ch Tasha Yar. He was the same thing. He was he was evil personified because evil had been cast out of these godlike beings and became Armus. Now you've got the same thing here. The the Guardians had purged themselves of evil and dumped it in somebody else's backyard and it solidified and became you know the the evil that that infested Joe Morgan so i just you know thought that was odd plot and lastly uh this is the umpteenth time since i have acquired a copy of green lantern number 40 that i have seen green lantern number 40 as a footnote, so I've really got to get around to reading that damn issue one of these days, since it's evidently more important than I realized it was when I picked it up on a lark just because it was cheap. So that's pretty much all I got. I have to be honest, as much as I like the art in this and I like the action, I like the uh, the the little secret origins bits. Um, and and different aspect. I like the fact that this is kind of retro to be Guardians' first adventure, all that sort of thing. Overall, I find this issue to be extremely meh because the whole Joe Morgan thing was just lame. 
It's so lame, but you know, just because the bad guy's lame doesn't doesn't necessarily ruin the issue. It just you know, it, it's it's not necessarily a favorite either. I remembered really nothing about this story other than I remembered not liking it when I was a kid, so I was kind of dreading when we would get to the annual. It wasn't as bad as I remembered. It was just, yeah, kind of a kind of a silly bad guy. Um, actually, you and I agree on that, basically. That, you know, it, it, it wasn't the best antagonist for these particular all-stars to go up against. I, I think where we differ is that I think that the rest of it m- made up for it to the point that I, I ended up liking the issue a lot. I'm not a really big fan of the cover. And not because, you know, I don't like Ordway's art, because I, I've expressed on many occasion that I love Jerry Ordway's art. But it looks like the Flash's hand is disappearing into his nipple mm-hmm. on this cover, and you're right. The coloring—it looks like colored pencils. I was just going to say what, what I—it finally occurred to me. What it bugs me is it, it looks like um, markers, like it yeah, was colored with like, like colored markers. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. The biggest strength of this issue is the Adrian Gonzalez and Jerry Ordway artwork. And mm-hmm. looking at a lot of these panels, it's obviously that Ordway was heavily inking uh, to the point where it looks more like Jerry Ordway art. Yes. But the great thing about that is, is it's Jerry Ordway art because everyone looks awesome. Uh, that opening splash page, it has clunky exposition. The Flash, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman look badass. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that first page, the fights are all dynamic. Is, all of them. Is that opening splash? Is that an homage to like a like a um, a golden age cover from something it, else? Because it, it is. It has to be. I just don't remember what it is right yeah, now. I'm surprised that All Star Companion didn't um, say something about that. On page three, there is a heavy set boy in the audience, and uh, he says ten, but. But that that's impossible, ain't it? And the kid next to him goes, shh, Herbie. And I'm wondering if that's a reference to Herbie the Fat Fury. Could be. I was thinking that that kid was somebody, but I was thinking it was, uh, who was the one that was the, the, he sucked a lollipop and he could turn into like a blimp or some shit? You know what I'm talking about? I, no, I, but that sounds incredibly stupid. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it was. But he, he was some... He was one of those characters with sort of a weird, like, I don't know, like like cult status. You know, like, just one of those, like, super obscure characters. And I want to say that character's name was, was Herbie or... It's, yeah, I'm, I'm... I only have the vaguest of, of ideas what the hell I'm talking about with that. But maybe I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can look it up. I, um... I hate the fact that they're all okay with the fact that Green Lantern is going to make them forget something. <laughs> hey, I'm going to mess with your mind with my magic ring. Good luck! So, uh, um, I like Wildcat's origin. I've always liked the fact that he was inspired by Green Lantern. That's just kind of cool. Uh, I like the Adam's origin, because as you know, I'm a pretty big fan of the Adam. On page 13, it shows him getting on the uh, train. And <laughs> It's a nice little bit of dialogue against narration. Um, 
uh, you know, the Adam says, not sure why I'm boring you guys with all the mush stuff, except maybe because it was still on my mind later as we were rocketing through the Virginia countryside. Somehow, I just couldn't get with what the other fellows were talking about. And one of the guys says, so I fed her a line about... So basically, this guy's talking about a sexual conquest, and apparently the Adam can't get behind that, and I can only assume that he's not getting any from Mary, and that he's sublimating that by saying he's above it all. Could be wrong there, but I don't think I am. <laughs> I think we... You said the Fat Fury, right? Yeah. For that, I think we're talking about the same character, because I, I looked it up. That is... I don't... I don't know. The, it could be some sort of subtle homage to that, but... The the pictures I'm seeing here of the Fat Fury, he had like a bowl cut, and he had like John Lennon glasses, and he was definitely sucking on lollipops. So the kid in this, you know, other than the fact that he's a fat-faced kid, doesn't really resemble the Fat Fury. But it, it could still be some sort of an homage, I guess. I wish I could read what that kid's shirt said, but I can't make it out. Um, I looked at that earlier, and I did read it. I just got to turn back to that page, so I'm trying to kind of kill time until <laughs> I get to that page, which is terrible <laughs> podcasting. Vamp, boy, vamp. <laughs> Play me out, Scott. Um, <laughs> where the hell is that page? Ooh, I don't oh, know. here it is. Uh-huh. It says, I think it's supposed to say Brooklyn Dodgers. Oh, okay. Which would make sense. That makes sense. My favorite part of this issue is the Guardian's origin. I love the Guardian. I am a Guardian Mark from way back. Now, why why is this? Just out of curiosity. For a reason that you will completely disagree with. He was part of the supporting heroes of the Superman titles. And I really liked him and the Newsboy Legion as, part, as how they related to Superman during the post-crisis era. Uh, whenever he showed up, I just got excited because it was kind of like having a Captain America type character running around the Superman books. And a lot of it here has to do with the fact that, especially on page 17, that one shot of him just standing there, fist cocked and shield out, which sounds vaguely dirty, um, looks so badass. God, he looks awesome. He's got a great origin. And, but it was really, it was really those, the Superman titles that made me a fan of the Guardian. And, uh, and his charges so much to the point that I came up with one of, another one of my terrible fan fiction ideas. Every once in a while, I'll have a terrible, awful fan fiction idea, like uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas on Elm Street, where Freddy goes to Christmas Town. <laughs> um, Highlander versus Friday the Thirteenth was another one where Duncan McLeod from the television series fights Jason. Um, and it turns out that the first Jason he fights in the story is actually the fake Jason from Friday the 13th Part 5, who turned out to be an immortal, because that's how I tied everything together. Um, I would like to see the Christopher Lambert Highlander fight the Christopher Lambert Tarzan. I think that would <laughs> that would have been cool. And that would be a very brief fight, as Duncan McCloud is a much better combatant than Tarzan and immortal. So... <laughs> Um, but my my idea was Newsies 2, the Newsboy Legion, where it's the 
it's the sequel to the movie Newsies. Um, but it's set in the nineteen in the early nineteen forties, right before World War Two, and it has the Newsboy Legion in it, dancing and singing around with Jim Harper, played by Bill Pullman, and uh, special guest Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne, um, since he was in the original Newsies. So, as I said, terrible idea, but it popped into my head and it made me smile. So I'm sharing it with you. Yeah, thanks for that. Surprisingly, I got a lot of positive feedback on this idea on Facebook. Don't ask me why. So, but no, it was just I, I like the I like the fact that he was a beat cop trying to make a difference. A bunch of hoodlums just kicked the crap out of him one night, and he's like, "I am fucking sick and tired of this shit." Puts on a costume, finds him, and beats the bloody piss out of them. That's just a great origin for a superhero. Not my parents were killed. Not I was framed to, uh, you know, I was framed in a, in a boxing match. Not I, you know, went out for a smoke and absorbed a lot of hard water. No, I'm pissed and somebody's going to fucking pay. There's nothing better than that. Plus, I like the concept <laughs> later that he kind of adopts these kids who are really not bad kids, they're just orphans. In a time period where it was a... Well, it's not that it's ever a good time to be an orphan. Uh, not that the foster... <laughs> and not, and not, that sounds like a like a public service announcement. Now is a great time to be an orphan! <laughs> um, but that is kind of funny. Um... <laughs> And as you can attest, let's let's just face it, foster care is not exactly where kids need to be, especially here in Georgia. This is true. This is or very, very true. Or freaking defects couldn't find its ass with two hands, a flashlight, and someone fucking helping them. <laughs> um, I'm not, sorry, way too a many... i fan of the defects, I take it. Way too many kids have been killed in this state by abusive parents because these people were fucking sitting on their asses. So, um, yeah. Defects can go... Uh, Wow, that's... right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, that was a little more anger than I thought was going to bubble out about that. I think that that might require a a bleep or two. (laughs) (laughs) If for nothing else, comedic purposes... (laughs) Um, I actually kind of dig that Roy Thomas did that thing he does by tying three seemingly disparate heroes and giving them the same trainer. It's actually kind of a neat idea. It really is. Especially since in that 1992 JSA book, that was written by Lenz Trzuski and drawn by Mike Parabek. Adam and Wildcat were like really good friends in that. They were the ones hanging out and palling around together. And I like that in retrospect because it's, you know, they have this common bond that they had the same teacher. And it'd be kind of like Obi-Wan hanging out with somebody that was also trained by Qui-Gon Jinn. So, you know, it's that commonality. It's a bit of a stretch. But Roy Thomas, when Roy Thomas does this well, he does it very, very well. And I think this is an example of him tying these characters together through Joe Morgan slash Nat Milligan 
is cool. The only stretching point is where he, where Joe basically says, I must have had an alternate personality. Um, maybe he was just using another name. I mean, it was a freaking derelict. And I really feel bad for him. And don't quite blame him for going crazy, because he pinned his hopes and dreams on three people, you know, bonded with them on a teacher-student level, let the, got them to the peak of physical perfection, and then they're like, ah, I'm out of here, bye. Thanks a lot. I'd be pissed too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's always really creepy, especially Adam taking this dude out to his family farm in the middle of freaking nowhere. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> the love that dare not speak its name. Um... <laughs> But it always seemed like they were breaking up with him more than just walking out, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. There's, there's definitely some. I mean, you could read a lot more into it these days than I think was was intended to be in there. But the one that really that really struck me, and I'm sure these sorts of things happened back in you know Depression era America, but just the the thing with Al Pratt just finds this bum in a back alley it and says, offers I'm to buy, to buy him dinner. dinner. Yeah, it's just like you know <laughs> in exchange for what exactly? <laughs> maybe I just wanted to maybe I just wanted to talk. Maybe I just wanted a hand job. Right. I wasn't quite sure why I walked into that alley. <laughs> that is so wrong on so many levels. <laughs> and the episode completely falls apart with talk of hand jobs. Be careful there, Al Pratt. That's what ended Eddie Murphy's career. You know? <laughs> At least Joe Morgan's not a transvestite. Oh, yeah, that we know of. It's odd, though it is odd when you really think about it that uh, Eddie Murphy gets busted with a tranny and then... Uh, Immediately starts doing Disney films. Yes, I did notice that. <laughs> Speaking of Disney films, completely off the subject, I saw a trailer today that made me very happy. It's an upcoming Disney film. Um, I was very confused by it because because uh, uh, it, it had Amy Adams, uh, future Lois Lane, and uh, Jason Segel, who's been in a bunch of comedies that have a lot of gross humor in it, and they're playing a couple that go on uh, a vacation and. She asks him how they're going to celebrate dinner that night, and he goes, with whatever you want. He realizes he forgot their anniversary, and you realize, you know, you, you think it's going to be a romantic comedy, and then it starts saying, starring Amy Adams, Jason Siegel, Kermit the Frog, Miss <laughs> Piggy, and it was this Sucker Punch trailer, not Sucker Punch as directed by Jackson Snyder, for the new Muppet movie. Uh, okay, I haven't seen that. And I knew something was up because they were in, like, twin beds in the hotel room they were in. I was just like, well, maybe this is, like, a Disney romantic... Oh, it's the Muppets. Awesome. So, (laughs) and it looks like a return to, like, the really bizarre Muppets that break the fourth wall and stuff. So I'm really excited. Um, But you mentioned Disney and you work for them, so I figure giving them a (laughs) plug isn't a bad idea. The Adam throughout this issue is drawn with the mask being very tightly fitted over his face and I've mentioned before on this show that I love that physical rendition of the Adam. I don't like the kind of 
blob face that a lot of people draw on him. The only real problem that I see with this issue outside of the kind of messed up ending is how repetitive it kind of is. Right. You, you kind of, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's got that spirit of the 40s, basically, and these types of stories. But, um, but it's just like you kind of know it's like, okay, so Wildcat gives his origin and it ends with the glowing ball. Adam gives his origin and it ends with the glowing ball, etc., etc., etc. And then, well, they're going to go fight him and they find the, the, the Joe Morgan character. And my wife is laughing at the concept of a bunch of guys find, finding glowing balls, apparently. <laughs> um, I resisted so that joke so many times in my synopsis, and it ended up coming into the episode anyway. <laughs> balls. Um, and then at the, you know, like when we get to the to the... The, the second act, even though it's like chapter three, because the pacing of these chapters is all fakakta. Um, you know, Wonder Woman and Adam find Joe Morgan and they fight him. The Flash and I think it's um, who's with the Flash? Wildcat? No, that's a Green Lantern. The Flash and Guardian find him and they fight him. Um... <clears throat> Adam and Wonder Woman, you know, it's just again and again and again we get the fine thing and then they all form one big Joe Morgan, everybody fights him he reveals that he's crazy and that he was uh, tempted by evil and the issue just abruptly stops and that prologue really doesn't help anything (laughs) so it's not a bad story it's got a lot of action, it's got a lot of excitement to it, I love the artwork but in the end I think we're both really excited for the next annual. I'm trying to remember what is the next annual. Infinity Incorporated. Is it? Yes. The next Ooh. annual is the is the the climax. Is it the one that 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 reveals the the secret mother of uh, Jade and Obsidian? Is that the one? No, that's the first Infinity Incorporated annual. Oh, okay. During Crisis. No, this is the one that finishes... Because there's the storyline that we'll be getting into that starts in the early 20s that ends in the annual. Because at the time, that's what DC was doing. They would have like a huge storyline that would end in the annual. And uh, I'm really excited about getting to that, too, because we get a lot of good... Because Ordway's about... Oh, that Vulcan dude is back. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you were seriously lame. I can't wait for that. Yeah, but he's actually kind of B.A. in the All-Star Squadron. Oh, cool. He really is. So, But that's all I got. Man, I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the covers for the other two All-Star annuals, and I don't remember shit about these, so this should be the, interesting. The third one has an interesting revelation about the JSA. They were swingers? Well, kind of, you know, Starman and Black Canary did have an affair, but I don't think that was really... Ooh, that's right. I don't think that was really swinging so much as them fucking each other on the side, yeah. so... <laughs> There's a lot of talent in that third one. It says, uh, Roy oh. Thomas, <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about Starman and Black Canary having no. sex when you started saying there's a lot of talent. No. <laughs> and with his cosmic rod. <laughs> with his cosmic rod. And her and her fishnets. It says, 
Roy Thomas, Rick Hoberg, and friends, and then it, it's asterisks. This is all on the cover, and the asterisks at the bottom is defined as Rich Buckler, Wayne Boring, Keith Giffen, Richard Howell, I don't recognize that name, Carmine Infantino, Don Newton, Martin O'Dell, uh, Jerry Ordway, and George Perez. Damn, I can't wait to check that back out. I cannot remember a thing about that. If I'm correct, Richard Howell was the artist on He was Soul the millionaire on, on Gilligan's Island, right? Thurston Howell. Thurston Howell, that's right. Um, we're not going to be going over the ads because we're going to be going over them in the next issue, and we don't have elsewhere because, again, we're going to be going over those in the next issue. So that's pretty much it, I think, for this uh, for this episode, unless you have anything else to add. No. No, that's... I enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of fun. It was at least a lot of fun to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, so... It was. It, it was. It was fun to dig it back out and read it again. I, I really did not remember anything specific about it, other than this vague sense of, eh, I don't think I liked that one, and I, I liked it better second time around. I, I still think uh, the the bad guy was was pretty lame, but at the same rate, I, I do kind of like the 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 symmetry with the whole Owen thing and kind of tying it all together. It's a bit of a stretch, but it was enjoyable nonetheless. Alrighty. Well, folks, this issue has not been reprinted anywhere yet, but I am hoping that it will be reprinted soon, as uh, hopefully the Infinity Incorporated trade will take off. Yeah, I'm hoping so, too. We'll have to pimp the hell out of that when it comes out. Or is it out? Is it out yet? I, I don't know if it's out yet. but Well, we'll find out, and uh, and we'll keep the listeners informed. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend and former personal masseuse and fry cook, to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell, called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Longbox, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos, and we love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to tales of the JSA at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. Remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember Pearl Harbor and go on to Bay.